1: Welcome to Methanex Corporation Q2 2020 Earnings Call. I'll now turn the meeting over to Ms. Campbell. Please go ahead, Ms. Campbell.
2: Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to our second quarter 2020 results conference call. Our 2020 second quarter news release, management's discussion and analysis, and financial statements can be accessed from the Reports tab of the Investor Relations page on our website at methanex.com. I would like to remind our listeners that our comments and answers to your questions today may contain forward-looking information. This information's biased nature is subject to risks and uncertainties that may cause the stated outcome to differ materially from the actual outcome. Certain material factors or assumptions were applied in drawing the conclusions or making the forecasts or projections which are included in the forward-looking information. Please refer to our second quarter 2020 MD&A and to our 2019 annual report for more information. I would also like to caution our listeners that any projections provided today regarding Methanex's future financial performance are effective as of today's date. It is our policy not to comment on or update this guidance between quarters. For clarification, any references to revenue, EBITDA, cash flow, or income made in today's remarks reflect our 63.1% economic interest in the Atlas facility and our 50% economic interest in the Egypt facility. In addition, we report our adjusted EBITDA and adjusted net income to exclude the mark-to-market impact on share-based compensation and the impact of certain items associated with specific identified events. We report these non-GAAP measures in this way to make them a better measure of underlying operating performance, and we encourage analysts covering the company to report their estimates in this manner. I would now like to turn the call over to Methanex's President and CEO, Mr. John Florin, for his comments and a question-and-answer period.
3: Good morning. We hope that everyone is continuing to stay safe and healthy. We will start with a few comments about the current environment and then speak to our Q2 results, provide an overview of the methanol market, and discuss how we are managing our business in this challenging environment while positioning ourselves to benefit from the recovery in the global economy. Our number one priority remains the safety of our employees, contractors, and communities where we work, and we are thankful that our team is safe and healthy. We continue to evaluate the risk at each of our locations to ensure the safety of our team members, and we continue to take extensive health and safety measures across our operations and offices as we begin to return to our workplaces at most of our locations. We have again demonstrated the resilience of our business model as our operations and global supply chain continue to run effectively in a different, very difficult environment. And our ability to service customers has not been significantly impacted by the pandemic. A big thank you to the entire team for a job well done. Now turning to our second quarter results, this is a very challenging quarter for the methanol industry and our company. Due to the impact of COVID-19 and low oil prices, we recorded adjusted EBITDA of $32 million and an adjusted net loss of $64 million or $0.84 per share. Our results were significantly lower compared to our first quarter due to a lower average realized price and lower sales volume, which were partly offset by lower production and selling general and administration costs. Also, our margins tend to be lower in the declining price environment compared to a stable price environment. Generally, the opposite applies when methanol prices are rising. We estimate that inventory timing differences reduced adjusted EBITDA by approximately $25 million in the quarter. We estimate global methanol demand declined by approximately 5%, or 1 million tons in the second quarter of 2020 compared to the first quarter reflecting significant declines in most parts of the world outside China. The demand impact in China resulting from manufacturing shutdowns due to COVID-19 was felt the most in the first quarter. If we compare the second quarter of 2020 to the fourth quarter of 2019, we will see the full impact of COVID-19 where we estimate that quarterly global methanol demand declined by approximately 12%, or 2.5 million tons. Prior to COVID-19, annual methanol demand was expected to increase by three to 4%, or approximately 3 million tons in 2020 compared to 2019. In China, methanol demand increased by approximately 4% in the second quarter of 2020 versus the first quarter as economic activity began to recover from seasonally lower levels and COVID-19 impacts. Ground transportation increased and fuel demand improved. Methanol demand improved across both traditional chemical applications, such as formaldehyde and energy related applications, such as MTBE, DME and other fuel applications. Methanol to olefin demand was particularly strong as several plants restarted and maintained high operating rates following planned and unplanned outages in the first quarter and supported by a significant improvement in ethylene pricing in the second quarter. Outside of China, methanol demand declined by approximately 19% quarter over quarter. Traditional chemical demand declined due to significantly lower manufacturing activity, particularly in the automotive and construction markets, which are both major consumers of methanol.
4: Demand into energy-related
3: applications, including MTBE, declined due to reduced ground transportation and fuel demand. Global methanol industry supply also declined in the second quarter of 2020 compared to the first quarter due to various outages and shutdowns around the world, but not quickly enough to offset the global decline in methanol demand, which led to prices falling below the cost curve in Q2. As we previously announced, we idled our Titan plant in Trinidad in mid-March and our Chile 4 plant as of April 1. We have seen other producers in Trinidad, Argentina, the Netherlands, Russia, and China reduce operating rates or shut down. We estimate that global methanol supply declined by approximately 9% when comparing the second quarter of 2020 to the fourth quarter of 2019. Overall, Production in the second quarter was 379,000 tons lower than the first quarter of 2020, primarily due to the idling of our Titan and Chile Forge facilities. Early in the third quarter of 2020, improving methanol demand and methanol plant outages in Southeast Asia and the Middle East have impacted market conditions and provided support for higher methanol prices. We estimate that the industry cost curve, which continues to be set in China, approximately 200 to 220 dollars per ton. Spot prices in China are marginally below the cost curve today. We recently posted our August North American price which remained at 276 dollars per ton and our Asia Pacific price which increased by 14 percent to 245 dollars per ton. Our European contract price is set quarterly and our third quarter posted price is 235 euros per ton. We believe that the outlook over the coming months remains uncertain and it's difficult to predict the full impact of COVID-19 pandemic and the lower oil price environment on methanol demand. As previously announced, we have taken several steps to further strengthen our balance sheet and preserve liquidity, including deferring approximately $500 million in capital spending on the Geismar 3 project for up to 18 months, reducing our quarterly dividend to. Result in approximately $100 million in annualized cash savings, and reduce 2020 maintenance capital spending by $30 million. As you are aware, our cost structure moves with the price of methanol. The price we pay for approximately 60% of our natural gas we consume, which is our most significant operating cost, is linked to methanol prices. This means that our operating costs move up, move down as methanol prices decline. Although there is a time lag of up to one quarter. We expect that a lower oil price environment will offset our previously anticipated increase in shipping costs due to the new International Maritime Organization's 2020 regulations. We also continue to actively manage our operating costs across the organization, up organization during the current downturn due to COVID-19. We have a strong liquidity position and ended the quarter with nearly $800 million in cash on the balance sheet. We expect that we only need to maintain a minimum cash balance of approximately $150 million to run the business day to day. We have no near-term debt maturities. We also recently announced that we amended our $300 million committed revolving credit facility and $800 million non-revolving construction facility which provides meaningful financial covenant relief. As we've previously announced, we've placed our Je- Je- Geismar 3 project on temporary care and maintenance. Prior to making this decision, the project had been significantly de-risked and our project execution was safe on time and on budget.
5: We will consider a number of
3: factors before deciding on whether to restart the project, including the pace of the global economic recovery, methanol market conditions, our ability to effectively finance the project, and the ability for suppliers to execute construction and to deliver material and equipment. Given the uncertainty in the broader economic environment due to COVID-19, we continue to plan for a wide range of scenarios, including ones where we see a more prolonged period of lower methanol demand and continued bottom cycle pricing. We are focused on cash preservation and continue to evaluate all options to ensure we maintain financial capacity and flexibility to navigate the current environment and emerge stronger over the cycle as conditions improve. We will not undertake share buybacks in this environment as any excess cash will be used to further strengthen our balance sheet. Now turning to our outlook for the third quarter. We expect the outlook over the near term to be uncertain and we cannot predict the full impact of the COVID-19 pandemic and lower oil price environment on the methanol market. While we have seen higher methanol pricing in the recent weeks, based on our posted methanol prices so far this quarter, we expect average realized prices in the third quarter to be similar to the second quarter. We expect our production levels in the third quarter to be lower than the second quarter. However, as prices stabilize, we expect that the timing differences due to our FIFO, first in, first out, inventory accounting will have less of an impact on costs. We expect adjusted EBITDA to be similar in the third quarter compared to the second quarter. Before pausing for questions, we'd like to highlight a couple of points regarding the resilience of our business. While the near-term outlook is uncertain, we expect continued long-term demand growth for methanol. Methanol is a key ingredient that serves as a building block to produce a multiple multitude of everyday items used to construct and insulate our homes, in automotive components to make cars lighter and in the technology to, that keeps us connected. In many cases, there are limited, if any, cost-effective substitutes for methanol in many of these applications. Methanol is also used in an increasing number of energy-related applications and is a clean burning and economic alternative fuel. Demand for methanol will eventually rebound as global economic activity recovers. As the industry leader with a global production footprint, integrated global supply chain and low cost structure, we have continued to deliver secure and reliable supply to our customers globally, which is our competitive advantage enabled us to be the supplier of choice to customers around the world. Our production assets are well positioned on the industry cost curve to be competitive through the methanol price cycle we have a strong cash flow potential with significant leverage to methanol prices. We estimate that every $10 change in our average realized methanol price results in approximately $60 million increase to adjusted EBITDA on an annual basis. Finally, we have a unique growth opportunities in Louisiana, allowing us to increase our production capacity at advantage capital cost when conditions improve to enhance our global leadership position and create significant shareholder value in the stronger global economic environment. We remain focused on operating our plants safely and reliably, delivering secure and reliable supply to our customers and protecting our balance sheet. We believe that a resilient business model and strong liquidity position will enable us to navigate this challenging environment and position ourselves to generate significant long-term value as global market conditions recover. We will now be happy to answer any questions.
1: Perfect, thank you. We will now take questions from the telephone lines. If you have a question and you're using the speakerphone, please leave your hand before making your selection. If you have a question, please press star one on your telephone keypad. If at any time you wish to cancel a question, please press the pound sign. Please press star one at this time if you have a question. There will be a brief pause while the participants register for questions. Thank you for your patience. The first question is from Jacob Bout. Your line is open. Please go ahead.
6: Hi, good morning. Morning. Uh, I want to start off on a G3 um, and maybe you can just talk uh, about your ability to push that out further than uh, the 18 months. Um, I Later than two thousand twenty one and any financial penalties to uh, to do so
3: yeah when we renegotiated our 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 recent um, um, revolvers and including the construction facility we did get some relief on the completion date for g three um, so uh, we have pushed that out a little farther
6: how how far out
3: another twelve months
6: okay um and then can you just talk about the incremental costs, of any, from, from COVID-specific events in the quarter? Uh,
3: the, the very minor incremental costs, really, to do with uh, working remotely, some technology, probably, but very, very insignificant.
6: Okay. And then just last question here on um, global methanol demand. So, you know, you gave the numbers of ex-China down 19%. Uh, in second quarter. I'd uh, be interested in, in hearing on how things actually improve through the quarter um, and, and what July is looking like.
3: Yeah, I think it's, it's difficult to predict demand in this environment, Jacob. Uh, we'll continue to watch it, but I'd say outside China, we're still seeing uh, significant pressure on downstream end-use products and, you know, demand is slow to recover. Um, so you know we'll continue to watch it, but I think it's, it's too early to predict uh, demand recovery.
6: Were things significantly worse in, in April than, than June?
3: Uh, you, you know, I don't want to go month by month because, you know, it's better to look at quarter by quarter. But I'd say, you know, demand is still uh, significantly down from where it was uh, Q4 2019.
6: All right. I'll leave it there. Thank you, John.
1: Thank you. The next question is from Ben Isaacson. He up is Japan. Please go ahead.
0: Good morning. Thank you. Um, John, we've read that uh, inventory levels at Chinese ports are reportedly high. Can you kind of put that into context as to how you see global inventory levels through the channel?
3: Yeah, well, China levels continue to go up, but so does, you know, the demand is, is quite a bit higher, you know, uh, because of MTO operating um, in, in China. And we, we've said before that we haven't seen the uh, terminal capacity. Increase in China to the extent it needs to, to to accommodate for the new demand on the coast So you know we we would characterize inventory levels today Probably more normal than high I'd say they were certainly high as we entered the quarter with all the uncertainty um, You know India basically shutting down so most of the Iranian production ended up in China, which led to higher inventory levels uh, Globally, including our own our own levels, we wouldn't characterize as inventory levels as high, but more I would say normal.
0: Celanese um, stated yesterday that they uh, see global acetic acid inventories as being low. Do you think that's a meaningful tailwind to reduce methanol inventories?
3: Well, acetic acid of the chemical demand I think is about nine percent, so. Uh, You know, we'll take any new demand we can get uh, versus where we've been, but, you know, I I don't think even if it goes up by double-digit, it's not going to have a significant impact on
7: the overall
0: methanol supply-demand balance. And my last question is, um, you realized uh, $8 million in savings in Q2 versus Q1. Um, How much of that do you think is sustainable on a run rate basis going forward?
3: So I guess it depends on how COVID nineteen continues to impact uh, our ability to do things like travel and and you know our our company set up uh, as a collaborative type of company we have a lot of global teams that meet on a regular basis and all of that obviously has ended and you know obviously in this environment when when we're looking at hiring and and think things like that we're being very cautious so. Uh, and I, to me, I think it, it, the big question is, what is the longer term or medium term demand for methanol? You know, we were setting up the company to be growing in line with the, the methanol market, which was 4 to 5%. And obviously, that's totally changed right now. So we may need fewer people uh, going forward if we don't see a, a rebound in, in methanol demand. And if we do, then, you know, obviously, we'll adjust our cost structure uh, as a result. So... I'd say it's the the savings that we've uh, achieved are are maintainable. We can maintain them in the current environment. Thank
4: you very much.
1: Thank you. The next question is from Joel Jackson, Milan, Japan. Please go ahead.
8: Hi. Good morning, John. Morning. Uh, I have a few questions. So the the first one would be if I heard your 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 data points correctly in the pre remarks. You talked about methanol market uh, contracting about 12% between Q4 of 19 and the second quarter. looks like your own sales volumes contracted between 16 and 19% uh, between Q2 and then Q4. So it looks like you lagged. You had worse contraction in the industry. Can you talk about that? Was that a strategic choice to help uh, balance supply demand? demand? Um, you, know, you had some plants that closed as part of that as well. Maybe you can just talk about that, please.
3: Yeah, it's not a strategic choice to uh, not sell product. We sold all the product we could. Um, certainly, we took plants offline to get in front of what we saw, declining demand environment, which proved to be uh, quite a, a good call in, in, in retrospect. Um, and the only plants where we had total flexibility was Chile 4 and, and Titan, and
5: that's why we chose those plants. If you look at, you know, the impact on us, you know,
3: we're underweight in China versus the rest of the world. You know, China recovered in Q2 while the rest of the world declined 19%. You know, our larger exposure to Asia Pacific, Europe, and North America saw us decline more than Q2 than the market. So that's not unexpected based on our mix. And MTO saw growth in Q2 and high operating rates. And, you know, we have less supply into MTO and Q2 as they, I think, you know, switched to buy more Iranian product that was being sold at a discount in China by up to $50 a ton uh, during the quarter. So, uh, you know, we would have uh, not uh, chosen to compete at some of those MTO accounts at those price levels. So we chose not to sell. But, you know, we sold everything that we could that made sense for us.
8: See, that's helpful. Um, I had a question about turnaround. You talked about having uh, some maintenance adages about G1 and G2 in the second quarter. I believe the a turnaround at G1 last year. Maybe G2 was due. Does this mean you don't need to do a turnaround at either G1 or G2 in the next couple of years? And then, do you have any other turnarounds planned, any other plans this year?
3: Yeah, well, G1, you know, usually we get four years between turnarounds. Um, And so we did G1, and so I don't expect to do a turnaround at G1 for three years. Um, As far as G2, it hasn't had a turnaround yet uh, since it started. And you can do the math, Joel. Uh, You know, it's coming up to four years. So I, I think that'll be due at some point, not, not too distant future. The outages we took in, in Q2 were really minor maintenance outages. I mean, pricing was low, demand was poor. So we just took advantage of the, you know, those conditions to make some minor corrections, to make those plants safer and, and more reliable uh, over the medium term. Uh, we've always guided to two to three turnarounds per year. Obviously in the COVID-19 environment, we had to delay, Uh, some of our planned turnarounds at some of our plants, and uh, assuming everything remains the way it is today, which is a big assumption, we plan to do those turnarounds in the second half of the year, but we're monitoring uh, the spread of COVID and our ability to get these turnarounds done safely and effectively in the current environment. That's helpful. And and just
8: finally, so um, you, you talked about the set of conditions you'll be looking at whether to restart G3 in 14 or 15 months. Let's just say that you come to the conclusion maybe around now that, you know what, you're not going to pursue G3 anymore. I'm sure you've gone back to look at your options here if you were to stop the project and penalties or how much payment you'd have to make or what you'd want to finish just to have ready for if you restart the project down the road. Can you maybe just talk about as much as you can, you know, what flexibility, what options you have, how much you'd have to spend, what the penalties might be if you stop G3, you know, now?
3: Yeah, I, I think it's early, and we've said that, you know, to stop it uh, when we made the decision just a quarter ago or or to, get, or to put it on care and maintenance is about the same, and we haven't changed our view on that. As we've announced that, we're obviously negotiating with all of our suppliers on different equipment, different construction labor, engineering, et cetera, et cetera, um, you know, on, on, on all these different uh, components. I would also say we've had a number of uh, equipment suppliers declare force majeure on us or or interrupted because of COVID-19. So, you know, there's hundreds and hundreds of these contracts that are being negotiated back and forth. So if we make the decision to uh, not go forward with G3, uh, you know, sometime middle next year, we'll certainly highlight those costs uh, that we would incur at that time.
1: Thank you. Thank you. The next question is from Hassan Ahmed. Your line
4: is open. Please go ahead. Morning, John. <clears throat> Morning, sir. John, if I heard you correctly, um, you talked about relative to end of last year, supply being down uh, roughly 9%. So my question to you is that, um, you know, um, with the economics looking the way they are right now, um, I mean, could you venture a guess uh, as to, you know, what percentage of that 9% will maybe potentially be permanently sort of uh, uh, curtailed, or do you think most of that supply is going to come online? And then part and parcel with that, uh, how are you thinking about the pace of near-term new capacity additions?
3: Yeah, so we've highlighted two plans that we expected to be completed sometime this year, the uh, Yohong plant in, in the United States and the uh, Mitsubishi plant uh, in Trinidad, uh, I think they total about 2.8 million. I think uh, you know, both are probably under some challenges in the current environment based on our experience with labor availability and, and how you uh, have to uh, manage your workforce in this, this type of environment. Um, so, we think they'll start, they, they will start at some point, possibly delayed, um, but, you know, it's really hard for, for me to give you an exact on that, Hassan. As far as, uh, you know, methanol supply that's offline, gone forever, you know, really hard hard to predict. You, you know what we are going through in in Trinidad, and, and uh, our competitor has five plants there, and... Uh, you know, the, the gas dynamics are, are really um, difficult, so they've shut down some capacity, and uh, whether it comes back or not, I think, will be a factor of gas price and whether, um, you know, we and and they can uh, negotiate a gas price that makes sense uh, through all points of the cycle of methanol. So, I think we'll have to watch that and uh, and see how that evolves, but it's really hard to predict where that's going to end up, I think, in in other parts of the world, if pricing was to rebound to more normal uh, methanol cycle levels, mid-300s, we, we would expect that, that uh, supply to come back on.
4: Very fair, very fair. And as a follow-up, John, you know, maybe early days, but, uh, you know, a lot of sort of uh, news releases coming out about uh, flooding at the Yangtze River. Um, So what are you guys hearing in terms of, uh, you know, be it methanol output uh, as well as methanol trade that may or may not get impacted by, you know, this flooding uh, that's being reported in the press?
3: Yeah, I I don't have anything to add on on to that, uh, Hassan. Sorry.
4: Okay. Fair enough. Thanks so much, John.
1: Thank you. The next question is from Mike Lifehead. Yulani Shepin, please go ahead.
7: Great. Thanks. Good morning, John. Good morning. I have just two kind of higher level questions today. First, I believe Methanex owns its own vessel fleet that I think is worth, call it roughly $200 million on your balance sheet today. Curious do you think about improving your financial flexibility in this environment? If you'd consider some sort of sale leaseback arrangement to help generate cash flow near term, or you would consider owning your own ship strategically important to where you are today with Methanex?
3: Yeah, we, we, we don't own them all. We have a, a, a combination of long-term time charters, which would be 15 years. Some we own in partnership, um, and some we have COAs, or contract of a fragment. So there's a mix there. i say whether we own them or not is not, you know, crucial to to, to waterfront shipping. We, you know, we, we started owning a few vessels just to understand more around the operations. Obviously, we wanted to promote... Methanol is an alternative fuel. So there were some strategic reasons. Um, it's an integral part of our overall supply chain. You know, our competitive advantage is a secure, reliable supply uh, to our customers, and, you know, waterfront shipping is a key component of that. Um, but, you know, I've said earlier, all options are on the table. Um, but, you know, what we want to uh, preserve our balance sheet, you know, enhance liquidity, but not destroy the future of the company at the same time. So I think these things will be ordered, um, and you know will will And the ability to execute is also, uh, you know, in this environment, uh, you know, selling assets could be quite challenging in in this environment. So there's a number of factors, but we'll consider everything to protect our balance sheet and to enhance liquidity uh, going forward.
0: Great,
7: and then second question on the energy opportunity for methanol. I think there's been a lot of talk and investment in recent months around clean hydrogen. And earlier this month, there was a major hydrogen project announced in the Middle East where effectively they're using ammonia as a transport medium to take the hydrogen gas to the end market. My my understanding is someone could do something similar with methanol as a liquid hydrogen carrier for fuel cells. So I guess just between what's going on in clean hydrogen or even just direct fuel blending, can you just maybe update us on your thoughts on how you see methanol playing a part in this move towards clean fuel? Yeah, well, methanol has always been a great hydrogen
3: carrier. That's that's not news. Uh, we had a fuel sales project team going back to 20 years ago, working with people like Ballard, for example. And, uh, you know, that continues to go forward, not for automobiles uh, in, a, in a big way, but for you no know, smaller applications like generators and et cetera. So, Still a very small part of overall demand, but uh, as a hydrogen carrier, methanol is a great alternative. I'd say that kind of application is really a medium to longer term uh, to build out the infrastructure, et cetera. So, yeah, certainly possible, but as far as impacting uh, demand in in the next five years, I, I would expect not.
1: Perfect. Thank you. The next question is from John Roberts here on New Please go ahead. Um, thank you. I, I
5: think it sounded like you were also curtailing New Zealand a little bit um, going forward in the back half of the year. Could you give us an update there?
3: No, we're not curtailing New Zealand at all. I think I guided um, last year that we expected our production to be 1.8 million tons in New Zealand uh, for the three plants based on Gas availability in the country for 2020. We haven't changed that guidance uh, at this time.
5: Okay. And I think there's been a shortage of plywood and particle board. Um, is formaldehyde at least a bright spot in the methanol market?
3: Yeah. I, you know, I, I I know there's a shortage in and formal not formaldehyde but plywood and particle board and I think that's more of a factor of. Uh, Makers of those products curtailed production um, in, in the second quarter as well, and you know, for uh, for reasons that we think uh, the renovation market is doing quite well as people are hunkered down uh, at home and trying to make their their spaces more palatable if they have to be there all the time. That that's created a short-term uh, demand for those products, which is good for formaldehyde resins. Absolutely. Um, But again, um, the amount of formaldehyde resin that goes into plywood in North America, while interesting, it's not going to move the needle from a demand point of view.
5: Thank you.
1: Thank you. The next question is from Steve Henson. Please go ahead.
9: Yeah, good morning, guys. Just a couple quick operational ones, John, if I may. Just the firstly on the maintenance schedule going forward, I know you've taken down maintenance capital um, for the year. Just give us a sense for how much more flexibility there might be in that budget and whether you have any major turnarounds uh, planned through the balance uh, of the year. I know you don't give specific timing on on those downtimes, but just trying to get a sense for whether we should expect any more disruptions. And then there's a follow-up note or question just on the CO2 levels that I think you noted in New Zealand, just trying to get a sense of what's happening there.
3: Yeah, so um, as far as turnarounds, we've guided to two to three per year. Um, obviously, we in the, in the environment, we found ourselves in the first half of this year, we couldn't do any turnarounds. So uh, assuming conditions remain similar to how, how they are today, we'll proceed um, with our turnarounds for 2020, Um, and, you know, we're going to obviously practice all of the safety uh, things that we we need to do today in social distancing, et cetera, et cetera, as we do uh, these turnarounds. There's a bit of of, uh, um, room maybe to push them off a little bit if we need to, because we can't conclude them safely, Um, but there's limited ability to do so. You know, these are statutory turnarounds that, you know, we need to, to change catalyst and, and do some maintenance work every 3 to 4 years. So we have limited ability to further um, postpone or or these turnarounds and so that you know you should expect us to do two to three a year in a, in a normal environment. And I didn't really understand the CO2 question related to New Zealand. Are you talking about the high CO2 gas or CO2 emissions in the country?
9: There was just a very brief comment in the MDNA about CO2 levels being slightly down. I wasn't too sure what that meant. I think it referred to the CO2 gas.
3: Oh, that was medicine hat, Steve. So, um, yeah, we take CO2 across the fence from a a nitrogen plant, and, um, you know, we have min-max rates in that, and we decided to go to to min-rates on the CO2 we were taking, which impacted our production there a little bit.
9: Understood. And then just one thought of MAs on Trinidad you know, where are we at with the broader Trinidad discussion and debate? Uh, We all know the the backdrop there, but just trying to get a sense for how that, uh, you know, broader discussion or negotiation is is ongoing there in the country and what we can expect through uh, the next, you know, 12 to 24 months.
3: Yeah. So so we're negotiating, as as we said, and, you know, we're we're looking uh, to, to secure an arrangement that allows us to be, you know, somewhat profitable at all points of the cycle, and the, the, certainly the NGC understands that. And they're working hard to to uh, create the conditions to allow us to sign a deal with them that makes sense for us, makes sense for them, and makes sense for the upstream. So we have nothing to report today, but we will continue to negotiate. And we're not alone. I mean, there's others on the island uh, in our business, in methanol, as well as in uh, you know fertilizer that are in the same... Uh, conditions that that we are so, uh, I think the government wants to have a solution uh, to this issue and are working hard uh, to make to, to, to make things happen to allow you know the island to continue to be a significant producer of methanol and and ammonia. And uh, again, we'll we'll report as we have something to report. But right now, the plant is down, and you you know you shouldn't expect it to come up uh, here in the in the near term. Okay, much appreciated. thank you.
1: Perfect. Thank you. The next question is from Matthew Blair. Ilan, is pen? Please go ahead.
7: Uh, yeah. Hey, good morning, John. I was hoping you could provide just a general update on on what you're seeing with MTO.
3: Just been some chatter recently that MTO really suffers in a low crude price environment. What what, what kind of operates did you see in MTO, both in Q2, as well as uh, currently? Yeah, quite high. I mean, that was one of the bright spots in the uh, in the whole. Uh, methanol demand environment in Q2. Um, So we saw increasing uh, uh, rates of production and, you know, as we had new plants year over year uh, operating. Um, We did see low pricing for ethylene and propylene, which um, uh, could have impacted the demand, but we didn't see anybody turn off for economic reasons. So, uh, yeah, I'd say MTO continues to operate in that 90% range, we understand recently that, you know, one or two plants are doing some maintenance. One may be planned, one may be unplanned. And, you know, with the number of plants that are running, I think a 90% operating rate is, uh, is pretty good. And we would continue to expect, you know, in the 80 to 90% going forward. And year over year, that, that gives us more demand uh, because these plants weren't running uh, all of 2019. Sounds good. And then the discount rate on the methanol contracts was quite high in Q2. I think you referenced um, just falling methanol prices as, as the driver there. You know, with methanol stabilizing, do you, do you see that Q3 discount rate getting
7: closer to you know, kind of like a long-term normalized level around 15% or so?
3: Yeah, what well, we've guided to when prices are increasing, uh, the, the discount will go down a bit. When prices are decreasing rapidly, like we saw in Q2, the yeah, discount will go up. Uh, I think that's our highest discount since uh, the financial crisis. Was the last time we had pricing of this order of magnitude. Yeah, but our guidance is still applicable in a in a in a um, stable environment where prices are are flat. Uh, we should experience around a 15%. Uh, discount. And, uh, you know, Q3 m- might be a little higher than that. It's early days, but, uh, you know, that's still our guidance. Thank you.
1: Thank you. The next question is from Roger Spitz Please go ahead.
0: Thanks very much. Just, just on that MTO, uh, a large chemical company on the Q2 earnings call, claimed MTO is not below $50 a barrel. Uh, it's no doubt more complicated by that. You, 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 you said clearly the MTO guys were operating at 90% just a moment ago. Do, do you have a, you know, if, if I don't know how you feel about the $50 a barrel, but do you have a level where you think it isn't unprofitable or, or a way to think whether it's when it does become unprofitable?
3: Yeah, again, I've, I've said this many times. Each side is a little different. when you calculate profitability for mto you've got to look at all the derivatives they're producing at any given site it's not so much the oil price it's more the ethylene and the propylene prices and you know for oil and therefore naphtha to substitute you'd have to have excess capacity of naphtha uh, in order to do that which is not there today so we've said clearly that growth in in uh Olefins is probably going to be in the form of ethane and naphtha in today's environment and not so much MTO, and that's what we're planning for. But the existing capacity will continue to run, uh, provided that they're cash positive on a site-by-site basis, and that's the case today, and that's why we see them running at high rates. Uh, You know, to make a prediction on the future, you'll have to, you know, tell me what the ethylene, the propylene, and all the derivative prices will be, and then we could calculate the affordability for each and every every site. So um, I think it's a pretty uh, basic uh, analysis to say $50 oil below, they're all going to turn off, and uh, I think history would show that's not the case. All
4: right. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you. The next question is from Nelson in your in Japan. Please go ahead.
0: Uh, great. Thanks. Um, my first question just relates to the, uh, the working capital. I know that uh, in Q2, there's a big uh, positive working capital move. Uh, I know sixty million of that was uh, due to e- uh, the insurance proceeds from Egypt. but can you give a bit more color as to um, whether that will or whether a lot of that will reverse uh, in the coming quarters or whether that's uh, some of that's permanent?
3: I hope it does. that means we 've got higher methanol prices so i 'm cheering for the working capital draw to 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 um, Reverse?
0: So, so most of that is just due to methanol, uh, driven by methanol prices. Rather yeah, than- inventories,
3: yeah. Yeah. yeah, inventories, yeah. gas,
5: diff- different things like that. But uh, yeah, we, we'd like to see it go back up. Yeah, Nelson, we're, we're operating our place, our company really tight right now. We're really trying to manage our working capital really well, so that's, you know, we're gonna keep a lid on that, obviously. Inventories, as John mentioned earlier, are a little lower than they've been, and, and so, uh, so there's been some, you know, really good work in terms of managing our working capital. So if you know if we're in this environment, um, you know, we're going to we're going to probably stay there. And you know, as John says, if we if we get higher pricing, then you know, it goes the other way, which is a good news story.
0: Okay, got it. Um, and then just on your credit facilities, I know you're sitting on a lot of cash, um, but I think during the quarter you repaid hundred million in your revolver but you drew down 37 million on your construction facility uh, can you just give a bit more color as to um, your strategy with your cash balance and your decision to to draw things down so i was just wondering why didn't you like repay all of your revolver um, give like is it is there some risk that it won't be available in the future? Is that why it's still drawn at? I think about two hundred million is is drawn right now.
5: Yeah, no, yeah. So in terms of let me start with the construction loan on the thirty-seven million dollar draw. You know, we're going to draw as 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 we spend money on G three. You know, we're entitled to it's a it's a fixed term loan. It's, it's it's not a revolver. It's a non revolving facility. So we'll continue to do that. And then in terms of in terms of cash and liquidity, you know, we're going to have a balance in terms of how much cash we want in terms of having it on the balance sheet uh versus the you know the negative carry and you know right now we, we as, as we noted in the in the quarter we we've uh we've obtained uh, really you think uh, good covenant relief uh that allows us to get through the next uh few uh, 12 12 months uh you know uh, with lots of flexibility so you know we'll be evaluating over the next little while in terms of you know how much cash we'll keep on our balance sheet versus returning uh, and, and repaying the, the operating facility. We haven't made any decisions yet.
0: Okay. Thanks, Ian. I'll leave it there.
1: Thank you. The next question is from Eric Petrie. line is open. Please go ahead.
7: Hey, good morning, John. Morning. With lower methanol prices, have you seen any increased demand for industrial boilers? Or is methanol, you know, still less competitive versus either coal
6: or, or gas?
3: Yeah, so the, the switch to industrial boilers, methanol is really driven by cleaning up the air rather than straight economics. Um, you know, most of the boilers in China today are coal and they, you know, they're quite polluting. So especially on the coast, there's a, there's a drive to clean, clean up the air. So three things you can do, uh, use instead of coal are methanol natural gas and diesel fuel and uh, you know natural gas is not readily available throughout China it's not like a reticulated system like we see here in North America I think you know natural gas is a good choice to go to um, from coal but a lot of areas that you can't get natural gas and I think that's where methanol plays its role so I don't think whether methanol is at 200 or 300 dollars a ton or 400 is going to make any impact on the switching rate of uh, coal to methanol in the boiler market. It's more of a, you know, technology works and methanol, I can get it delivered. Uh, So it's more of a supply chain issue than actual price of methanol. We continue to see conversions,
4: not only on boilers,
3: but more recently on kilns as well. So coal-based kilns are are starting to convert to those same three fuels. And we see that as a trend that will continue, especially as China looks to clean up uh, its hair.
7: Okay. From my follow up question i wanted to ask on the longer term dynamics of marine fuels i think lloyds recently approved an ammonia uh, fueled vessel so how do you see methanol competing against uh, ammonia and you know meeting imo uh 2030 standards
3: yeah well methanol is is a great uh alternative fuel and will meet the imo standards going going forward and uh you know the thing about it, it's easy to handle. It's readily available in all parts around the world. It can be stored in regular uh, tanks that are on the ship. So from a storage and handling and availability, it's, it, it checks all those boxes. But I've always said it's not going to be either or. There's going to be a number of solutions that people are going to promote, including LNG and uh, ultra low sulfur diesel in the short term, and methanol. And you know ammonia has been used in diesel trucks in North America for quite some time. So I think it'll, it's not gonna be a one size fits all solution and we're pretty pleased with the progress that we're making on methanol as a fuel onboard ships. The, the nice thing I think that methanol has an advantage is it's it's uh, flexible. So, you know, you can have the same engine use uh, ultra low sulfur diesel or methanol. So to me that, that anytime you can provide flexibility on fuel of choice, that gives you uh, a leg up on your competition. So we, we would continue to see methanol as a fuel on ships can, uh, growing uh, you know again significantly probably mid next decade because mid this decade because it's a uh, mainly a new build story. you know retrofitting we don't think is going to happen. people will just uh, probably use ultra low sulfur diesel especially in the current environment.
7: okay, how would you size the market opportunity in terms of tons?
3: Yeah, it's about, if every ship was to convert to methanol, which it's not, it's about 500 million tons, so we don't need very much penetration to have a significant impact on the supply demand balance for methanol. So a ship like ours, one of our ships, just to give you order of magnitude, there are about 50,000 deadweight tons. If they run on methanol 100% of the time, it's about 10 to 12,000 tons of methanol per year per ship.
7: Great. Thank you, John. Thank you. Thank you.
1: The last question is from Sheridan Radburn. Good please go ahead. Thanks very much, good morning. Um, in terms of the new methanol supply that's scheduled to come online, could you just give some color around what sort of logistical issues you think COVID-19 could have uh, um, in terms of the timing of those plants coming online?
3: Well, it's really around construction. I mean, you know, if you've ever been to a, a, a large plant that's being constructed, people are working in pretty close quarters. So, you know, you have to put in quite a bit of safety uh, procedures that you wouldn't normally put in without, without a virus uh, around social distancing, masks, uh, cleaning, all the things that are being done everywhere that we see, uh, you know, COVID present in, in a big, big way. So that adds time and probably adds people. Um, and then you've got the commissioning process. Usually when you're commissioning a plant, you're bringing people in from all, all different parts of the world that have expertise in a particular piece of equipment or a particular system or a particular a part of the plant. And I think in Trinidad today, that's pretty difficult. Uh, in the United States, maybe a bit easier, but uh, you know, maybe some people don't want to travel and they're going to do it remotely and uh, that'll add complications. So I think not only will construction times be uh, extended, but commissioning could be a lot harder um, than in a normal environment. But, uh, you know, I, I'm always amazed at what people are able to do uh, when they don't have a choice of being in person. So uh, people will find ways, and but I think it will be a bit more cost and probably a bit a bit longer is what I would anticipate. But those plants will, will get commissioned at some point um, here in, 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 in the coming year or two.
1: Okay, and then last one for me. Um, can you comment on what you're seeing as far as the impact of the sanctions on Iran and the flows of Iranian methanol?
3: Yeah, really no impact on their ability to produce. I think the impact of sanctions is more getting spare parts and and you know developing the gas fields to allow them to deliver gas uh, on a uh, reliable uh, level throughout the year. So you know we're still continuing to see methanol being shipped um, and really the only place it can be sold is is china now india is back open so there's some going to india and we've seen pricing rebound in, in india as a result so i'd say it's more n- not the ability to sell the methanol but it is at a discount to other material but they're still selling it it's it's, it's the production and the ability to run their plants reliably uh, going forward
1: thanks for the time john Thank you. Thank you. We don't have any other questions at this time. I'll turn to the back. Okay. Uh,
3: thank you. So, just a couple of clarifying points. Um, I think I mentioned the extension on the G3 completion was 12 months. It's really nine months. So it's now July 2023. I apologize, Joel, for uh, being off by three months. And we have a crack finance team here. So during the call. Um, we, I didn't realize this, but we have a COVID-19 uh, category for all expenses that are in addition to our normal operating costs related to COVID-19, and so far today, it's $37,000. Uh, so just to answer that question, so thanks to the finance team for providing that information.
4: You know, I wanted to reiterate
3: that our top priority is keeping our team members safe and healthy. We will continue to operate our plans safely and reliably, reliably, deliver secure and reliable supply to our customers, and protect our balance sheet. We believe we're well-positioned to sustain our business in this uncertain environment and generate significant long-term value as global market conditions recover. Thank you, thank you for joining us today. Stay safe, and we look forward to connecting you with you in October. Thank you for the interest in our company.
1: Thank you. The conference has now ended. Please disconnect your land at this time and we thank you for your participation.
0: Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.